Mac Power Users, Episode 495, Setting Up the Battle Bridge with Artist Tom Zoller. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. This is David Sparks. I'm joined today with Tom Zoller. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, Stephen couldn't make it today, but you guys are just stuck with me and Tom, and I, I think we're going to have some fun together. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I'll just talk twice as much. Okay, there you go. Uh, before we get started, though, talking through Tom and his workflows, I just had a couple announcements for the audience. Uh, the first is um, we have the newsletter. We just started putting it together. I know a bunch of you have signed up. If you're still interested in signing up for that, please do so. I'll put a link in the show notes. The idea behind this is there's a lot of listeners that want to get just a, a, a weekly email when the show publishes with all the links that, that are together and you know, hopefully we'll have some pictures of our guests and whatnot in there. So um, it'll be fun. We're putting a lot of effort into making it nice. So if you're interested, sign up for it with that link in the show notes so you can start getting it. Uh, the other thing is this is August and every August we have a membership drive here on Relay FM. This would be a great time to sign up. If you sign up as a member, there's a whole bunch of benefits. There's newsletters and all sorts of great benefits. In fact, you're going to get all the special August show recordings. And of course, Stephen and I are going to do one as well. It's going to involve drafts and Max, and it's going to be awesome. So uh, you might want to sign up for that. Uh, to do so, go over to relay.fm slash MPU and sign up as a member right there. Um, and uh, we'll have more on that in the future. But since August has started, I thought I should at least get the word out. Uh, if you have further questions, in addition to going to relay.fm slash MPU, you can always also go to relay.fm slash membership. But that's not why we're here. Today, we're here to talk to Tom Zoller. Tom, uh, once again, welcome to the Mac Power Users. Oh, I'm glad to be here. And uh, Tom was a guest on Free Agents, back on Free Agents episode 38, where we talked about you know sticking it to the man and going out on your own. But during the course of that episode, Tom kept teasing me because Tom is a professional cartoonist, um, artist. Uh, you're also, you write these, uh, write. you write these graphic novels mm -hmm. and you're teasing me with all the stuff you're doing with your Apple tech. And it was just killing me not to ask you about it. So I feel like now we get to just go deep on what a nerd Tom is and how he's putting <laughs> all this stuff together. You okay with that, Tom? Yeah, I've written the Star Trek comic book. My nerd credentials are oh, pretty deep at this point. And that, see, I was it was Hello Pony was the one that impressed everybody yeah. last time. You didn't tell me <laughs> My Star Little Trek. Pony. Yeah, I'm Star sorry. Trek Star Trek's relatively new. I did a I did a short 8-page Deep Space 9 story that I was um I don't know how deep you are in Deep Space 9, but I was uh, impressed with what they let me get away with cuz I kind of rewrote a little bit of stuff. Oh nice. And then I wrote the Picard comic that comes with the new Picard Blu-ray set that they're putting out in advance of the uh of the new TV show. Okay, so first of all, <laughs> I I Deep Space 9 was a show that was slow to grow on to me, but by the end I was totally hooked. I didn't realize I didn't realize they're still making comics about it though. Yeah, IDW still has the Star Trek license, and they do a book called Waypoint every now and then, which is a collection of short stories from all throughout the Star Trek universe. Yeah. I pitched on a bunch, and then the one they went with was a Deep Space Nine story that essentially explains how Worf got back to the Enterprise for Nemesis. Okay. It's a sad story because he makes it into Nemesis, which is a pretty horrible movie. But yeah. other than that, I, I really like that story. I got to write Esri Dax. I think wasn't that the movie that broke Next Generation movies? 
That was it a, did. Oh, yeah. so bad. What a shame. What a shame. But we're getting Picard back. I, I wish mm-hmm. Katie was here now because she would be very excited to talk about that. But I am too. I watched the trailer. I'm I'm mainly a Star Wars fan, but man, Captain Picard, he's my captain, man. When I when I went through school, it was seven o'clock reruns of the next generation that got me mm-hmm. through. I mean, it was great. I have to tell I got to meet him at Comic Con this year. Okay. And it was solely because I got to work on the comic book and I got to tell him that I loved him on Broadway and I loved him on L.A. story, which is true. Yeah. And he said, my, that was quite some time ago. And that's all I needed. We were done. Yeah. I'm always afraid to meet uh, like heroes or stars because you've got this image in your head and it's like, will they live up to it? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was that way when I met William Shatner because I, I had a great experience with him. And I said, thank you. He said, thank you. And then I ran away. Yeah. <laughs> and because I, I didn't want anything to ruin it. I'm like, no, I've had a perfect moment. I didn't want to go. Let me tell you why I hate tall people. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Tom uh, Gang does a lot of great creative work. Um, and uh, you, you're an independent artist and you figured out how to make it work. That's why I enjoyed that show of free agents now now the show is actually called focus but it's still in the feed we're gonna have links in the show notes to tom's website and his twitter and instagram but but you're doing all this stuff with apple technology and that's what i really wanted to talk about today so first of all what what's your gear tom so i am currently rocking an imac pro that i just got last year when the hard drive went on my old imac I have a 22-inch HD Cintiq uh, that's attached to it. That's my main setup. Um, there's a Drobo attached to it. There's a bunch of hard drives and other peripherals, but that's the that's the basis of what I'm using. Oh, and uh, my favorite side thing that I have on it is I have a Nostromo gaming pad. Uh, I think it's Nostromo. It might be Tartarus or Ra- it's a Razer gaming pad. Yeah. But I have it mapped so that it's mapped to Photoshop keys and so that it's mapped to um, Clipart Studio keys. So when I'm drawing or coloring, I don't have to take my hand off the screen. I can run Photoshop off the gaming pad. Yeah. You know, that I've heard a lot of artists doing things like that. But but first, I want to start with that iMac Pro. Um, I think the last time we talked, you told me you were using some ancient laptop. Is that am I right? I, I still have the ancient laptop. Um, I work on the road a lot because I travel so much for conventions. So yeah. I still have the ancient one. It's mostly a typing machine. Sure. Because since the iPad Pro has come out and I'm on the latest iPad Pro, I can draw on that and get most of my art done that way. The um, the laptop is mostly for doing email, writing scripts, uh, doing correspondence. So I'm not I'm not really testing it past, you know, some simple illustrator or InDesign work. Yeah. It's, it doesn't have to perform to the level that I used to need it to. So, and so last year you decided I'm going to upgrade and you bought the iMac Pro. What, what was it that led you to decide to go from iMac to iMac Pro? Uh, when my hard drive broke. Uh, yeah. And I, I was really lucky because my iMac's neck snapped. Okay. So all of a sudden wow. I'm, I'm in the, Wait I'm a in second. the, you mean the thing holding it up? Yeah, so all of a sudden, you know how you can tilt your monitor up and down? Yeah. I'm I'm in the studio and I hear this noise and basically my computer just looks down. <laughs> I First of all, that's so graphic. I mean, I've never thought of my computer snapping its own neck, but 
I didn't even know that was possible. All the I've never heard of that. Neither did I. Wh- where did it fail? Did it fail at the joint with the iMac or? Wh- um, I I don't know. I think there was a, a spring in it that broke. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. So I brought it. I brought it to the Apple Store and I brought a bunch of stuff for me to work on. And I said, okay, you know, I know how this is going to go. And they said, this is totally a covered thing. This is a known issue. We can get it taken care of. It's going to be a week. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it was going to be that long. I don't, I don't have a computer. So I wound up doing the thing where you buy a Mac that you're going to return because they tell you to do that. Yeah. Uh, So I got the iMac Pro there. And while they were diagnosing the Mac, they found out that the hard drive was failing. So I managed to get copies of everything off and it was, it was the weirdest, I don't want to say it was bad Apple customer service, but there were several points of failure on several points where to the point where Apple didn't charge me for the repairs. Yeah. Um, because they did things like they, they split the fusion drive that I had to give me part of it to try to get files off, which meant the fusion drive wasn't going to work. Yeah. So it was, it was that level of crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually I did get all my files. I had found out that some of my backup strategies weren't working. Yeah. That's not a good time to find that out. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it was, it was things that I was uploading to that said that they were uploading that weren't. Yeah. Um, and then my, the other hard drives I was going to for some reason that wasn't working. So it was, it was actually like the best of all worlds because I managed to save all my data and find out that my Mac was dying in a controlled environment rather than have it just all of a sudden go and, and not know what to do. Yeah. Uh, And after that I joined the leasing program and now I lease the iMac pro. So the uh, what's, did you notice a difference in performance going from the old computer to the new one? I honestly haven't noticed much because they, they, when I switched to the iMac Pro, they told me that, you know, oh, you're you're going to love it. You're It's going to be so much faster. And I haven't, I don't know if I'm not cranking as much as I used to, but it doesn't feel like I'm stressing it out. Yeah. So all the Photoshop and ClipArt Studio stuff I'm doing is working pretty, you know, it seems to be just as well. I don't know if I've just gotten more patient over the years or I just got used to it. But yeah, I, it it is a wonderfully performing machine, but I'm not noticing the speed increase the way that I thought I might. The um the the thing about the iMac Pro is it's it's really redesigned on the inside compared to the iMac, you know, because they don't ship a version with a spinning drive, so they were able to redo the thermal system. It's much quieter for me as a podcaster, and the video stuff is much faster. It does that multi-core, but I would expect for artwork, you probably don't need that additional multi-core performance. I mean, do you do you do, you do any video? Uh, I don't, I don't do any video. I have done some limited animation, but I haven't had to do that on the iMac pro. So that could be a thing that was different. It's been a little while since I've had to do that. And I, I know I work with large multi-layered Photoshop files, but I'm, I've been, was impressed with how the iMac stood up to it. The iMac pro seems just as good with it. Yeah. Well, either way, I think you're going to be really happy with that computer for a long time. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I honestly, I like the, uh, I like the leasing program because I've hit the point where by the time I would pay off the costs on the lease, I would probably get a new computer anyway. So it's effectively, it's the same thing that I'm doing with the phone and it keeps me, not so much it keeps me current, but it's just, now it's just a constant expense and I'm kind of, you know, it's kind of booked into my cost of doing business. I do think that Apple is really trying to be more business friendly at this point. And like, I, I know that anytime I go in, they want to know, do I have a business like representative or whatever, I guess sales, they have a team just for businesses. 
And, uh, and it sounds like they've got you in their system now. Yep. I am. I am definitely set up on that. And yeah, it's been, it's been delightful. I want to talk about your, your devices, your Nostromo and your pin touch, but before it's just, it's just driving me crazy. What is your backup system now, Tom? So my backup system is that everything backs up to backblaze. Okay. Everything, uh, copy is backed up to my Drobo and my Drobo also has all of my client files on it anyway. Good. So the client files live on the Drobo and the way it's set up now, there are some client files that live on the Mac itself. Those are backed up to the Drobo. And then there's a complete system copy that goes to the Drobo. And then I have a third hard drive that's attached that backs up my client files one more time. And that's specifically designed so I can take it with me when I'm on the road so that I don't have to think about what files I need to bring with me. I can just bring the latest copy of all my client files when I walk out the door. Yeah, I, I think it sounds like you're you're doing pretty good. If there's one more thing I do, if you have the space, I would just get one of those cheap Amazon, you know, four or five terabyte drives you can get for two hundred bucks, and just put it as a time machine on the back. Okay, and just like one more belt and suspenders. And I think the the thing you went through is something everybody has to think about because I mean, if you're listening to the show right now, when's the last time you checked your backups? You know, everybody thinks you're backing up. Sometimes the drives have failures or you know there can be a variety of reasons why the backups just aren't happening and um and yeah that's just a good warning you know word to the wise you don't want to find out that the backups didn't work after things start breaking exactly i was uploading i was part of an online backup service and i had disconnected a hard drive and according to them this was causing a fault that was making it not upload all my files to the to the online backup yeah and I had no way of knowing that until that happened I thought everything was you know going right up to the cloud the way it was supposed to yeah like like you were telling me you have that that client uh, backup drive that you take with you when you go on the road mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times those online systems once you disconnect it they will say oh, okay well he doesn't want that one anymore throw out all that stuff. And um, then suddenly you find it's not there someday when you need it. Yeah. So I I would, was paranoid about it before. I'm even more paranoid now. Yeah, I get it, man. I get it. it. It is something that everybody has to think about. And it's a lot easier than it used to be. But it's still, the data is a lot more important than it used to be, frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could have lost my little pony. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't book back up to physical media the way that I used to. Yeah. I, I still like that concept you know, of having another, you know, something I can move to another place yeah. that has the client files, but I've been doing this, you know, professionally for over 15 years now. So I've got some, like I'm a digital pack rat when it comes sure. to that. And I don't want to get rid of a file that I did for love and capes in 2003 because I might need it, but I, d- there's only so much of that stuff I can have keep living on a hard drive. Even though the hard drives keep getting bigger, I keep worrying about running out of space to store all this on. Oh man. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's probably having the fact that I made this show all these years. Um, and I've heard all the horror stories, but I like every time Amazon has a sale on those little drives, I buy one and I've got them like stat. It's like, they're like acorns. I have them all over the place, (laughs) you know? And then I've got one that I give to a family member who comes over the house quite frequently. So at least once a month I give it to her and she brings the old one back. We swap them. And I, it's like, so if my house fell down, apparently I'd be able to go over there and get it, even though I have it on back place. I, I, I don't know. It's just, um, paranoia at some point. Oh, it, yeah. It's a sickness. Uh, 
But I, but let's talk about these these input devices, though. Um, the first one I want to talk about, because this is something I think a lot of people could use or at least think about using, is this uh, Razer Nostromo pad. Yeah, uh, I read about it from a guy named George Coghill who told me about it. Yeah. Uh, I've gone through two of them, but I've been using them for over 10 years. The, the one I have now has multiple colors on it, which, while it sounds goofy... It'll light up blue when I'm in Photoshop. It'll light up orange when I'm in Clip Studio. So I always know that I'm in the right program when I'm I'm using the pad. I mean, I don't have to look at it all that much, but it's a nice like secondary yeah. sign to make sure I'm in the right program. And the way that I did it was, I think there's a temptation when you take a device like that to decide what all your keys are going to be, program it, and then try to remember what they are. But what ultimately worked for me was I programmed it one key at a time based on what I was using. I was just using it to color something the way that I normally do. And that allowed me to use essentially the most frequent keys. Yeah. So like the eyedropper tool was the first button I programmed because that was the first thing I needed and it was the thing that I was using the most. And when you build out that way, it becomes easier to remember what the what the key structure is. And now I have a hard time working without it. Yeah, and and if you're listening, you've never seen one of these. Actually, I think they started out as what they call gaming pads. You know, yeah, where, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so you would attach it to your PC if you like to do gaming. You wanted to have like better quality keys and more ergonomic keys. But what folks like Tom are doing is you're using these as basically a separate keyboard full of commands for high command, you know, level programs like all of the Adobe stuff. Yeah, and you can program it for more than just like the normal commands. So it's not just switching to the eyedropper tool or switching to the, the pen tool or doing a fill, but you can map it to some of the Photoshop actions. Yeah. So when you're working in print, when you do the magic wand to select an area to fill with color, if you've had it outlined in any sort of way, aliasing or anti-aliasing will turn on and you'll get like a little white halo. So one of the things you do is I have a fill command that expands by two pixels to get rid of that halo. So that is an action in Photoshop, but it is also a key on my Nostromo. So it, it'll play through all the actions as well as anything else. Yeah. And, and the way they're made they're you know, they're usually somewhere between like 12 and 16 keys. There's only so many keys you can fit on it, mm-hmm. but, but you can cycle through it, like have multiple modes for it. And I guess that's where you have the different colors and the different software support. Yeah. And there's a, there's a eight position, essentially like um, not a joystick, a D pad yeah. on it as well that you can map to certain keys. And uh, they used to have a scroll wheel on the original, which I would use for zooming in and out. And now it's mapped to up and down. So I can even control the angle on it uh, just from the just from the pad itself. Yeah, after a while, it's like playing the piano. Yeah, I bring it with me when I'm on trips now because I'm just so used to doing it. And it it's so much faster. Yeah. That's cool. And I think a lot of artists are using it. Something uh, for me, I've got the Apple extended keyboard, the wireless one mm-hmm. and the number pad. I never was a big on using a number pad, but I've kind of had my own hallelujah moment on that with, uh, cause I do a lot of keyboard maestro stuff and I've, I've mapped all the scripts to the number pad, which isn't quite as good as what you're doing, but for the kind of stuff I'm doing, it's, it's just fine. But I, I do like the idea of having a separate like macro based keyboard, whether it's your number pad or something like this. Yeah. It's been, it's been crazy efficient to have it. At what point are you going to get two of them? And you're just, you're going to truly be captain well, Picard there. 
you know. <laughs> well, I still need a hand to use the stylus, so you can hold it in your teeth. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not ready for that yet. All right. All right. Well, and it's then, taken me 40 years to learn how to draw with just the right hand. I'm not ready to, to try to master <laughs> something else. Um, the uh, and then, but and then, so the stylus is what you use. You uh, you're using the the Wacom tablet. Yeah, I have a, a five year old Cintiq. Yeah. Do you know? Do they? Is it Wacom? Is it Wacom? I've never known how to pronounce that word. Somewhere I heard it called Wacom, All and right. that's what I've called it. Yeah. But I I don't know because it it doesn't feel comfortable to pronounce it that way. I think um, it's a Japanese company. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they have a very specific pronunciation. I don't know. Maybe it's like moleskin, and they actually don't have one specifically so that people can pronounce it different ways. Well, everybody knows it's moleskine. <laughs> the um, uh, now the Cintiq is is that the one where it's got the monitor built into it? Yes. So it's the the monitor built into it, and it was the I think it's the last one that shipped with. The um, I'm trying to think what to call it. it. It'll let me go from having it be up front like a monitor to clicking the sides of it and having it slide down to be at a drawing table angle. Yeah. Like now that seems to be a separate piece that comes with it. And that's really convenient, too. So uh, I have I have the windows mapped on Photoshop and in Clip Studio so that when both monitors are up upright, that's main bridge. And then it switches to battle bridge when I have to go into drawing mode and all the palettes jump over to the Cintiq so that that becomes my primary device rather than looking at the, the Mac HD monitor. Tom, you are a star guy, a Star I, Trek guy. I am. There is no doubt. <laughs> all right. So, uh, I get, you know, it makes so much sense though. If you draw to have a tablet that shows the actual image rather than, you know, drawing, on an abstract tablet and looking up at a screen to see if you're in the right place. Yeah. I, I used to use, I mean, that's how I got into it. I used the, uh, the other tablets before I used could use it for coloring, but I couldn't draw with it because it just wasn't immediate enough. And then I was lucky enough. I did. Um, there's a crazy day in comics called 24 hour comic day where the challenge is to draw a 24 page comic book in 24 hours. And I decided to do it as a performance outside a comic shop. So I was set up in a mall and they let me stay there all night. But uh, Wacom let me borrow a Cintiq to do that. And that's how I got hooked on it. Okay. And after that, it was just a matter of time before I got one. These things get as big as 32 inches. That's crazy. They do. And I was told by a friend of mine with a tablet that you don't have to go that big. because I mean... I. I know that there are probably use cases where it makes sense, but for the most part, you're going to be zooming in anyway. Yeah. So you don't, you don't need to be able to work it at full size. You, you, since you're going to be bringing it up, you might as well go to a 22 or whatever is convenient for your office or your space, because you're going to just zoom in anyway and work at that scale. Yeah. I would almost think at that size, it's, it's like a lot of work for your arm to get around that big screen. It's kind of a natural rhythm because it, it's pretty close to what a comic book page is. Comic book pages are 11 by 17. And there's like a whole set of arm movements that I've learned over the years to, because you don't want to just draw with your wrist. You want to draw with your arm to get the right sort of curve. Yeah. Um, especially when you're inking with a brush. So it is pretty close to the same level of movement that I would do on traditional medium. And I think that's why I've been able to take to it so well. Now, do you ever use it now that you've got this piece of hardware in your desk? Do you use it for anything other than art? Um, I use it as a second monitor. I, I've used a dual monitor setup for years, even before I, I had the Cintiq. 
and I like having one monitor that's pretty much just whatever social media I'm using and messages and mail. And the other one is the one that I have most of my focus on. And sometimes with what I'm doing, when I'm lettering a project or coloring a project, it's nice to have like a reference monitor that has, this is what the script is. And then there I can keep the monitor that has the actual lettering that I'm working on or the coloring that I'm working on relatively clean and not have to have too many overlapping palettes on that monitor. Yeah. Do you use the, um, the pen for anything other than uh, artwork? Yeah, not on the not on the Cintiq. If I'm if I'm drawing with the Cintiq, I'll use it all over the place. Like I'll pull down the file command or you know anything like that. But I've got to be I've got to have it in my hand to draw because if I'm not if I'm not drawing, then the stylus isn't in my hand, so I'm not using it to do anything else. Yeah, I mean, it feels to me like it's something that's very useful for artwork. But like if you were doing spreadsheets or whatever, you're not going to want this. Yeah, no, not at all. The other thing that's interesting about it to me is the, um, you know, the Mac operating system is not built for touch. And like, even like when you connect a, um, an iPad as a second monitor, um, you still need an Apple pencil or something to really manage those menus and those small touch targets. Do you have any, like, um, what's your, what's your experience with that? Well, the, the Cintiq that I use isn't the touch one. So I don't, so I'm just using the pen and that's essentially the same as using the mouse. Yeah. There are times where I'll, um, like when I'm lettering, I tend to use the mouse more than I use the pen. It's just more of a natural rhythm to me. And also with lettering, there are more times where you're actually interacting with the text. So I don't, as opposed to everything I've said about uh, having the gaming pad, that's when I want to have a keyboard in front of me because I have to do things to like, there's a goofy thing in comics that the letter I when it's a pronoun has a crossbar on the top and bottom of it, when it's in the middle of a word like will, there's no crossbar. So sometimes <laughs> you have to change that by hand um, or you know, you're breaking words by hand or retyping a word for one reason or another to use like alternate characters to make it look right. So that's just easier to do for me when I'm on a keyboard on a more traditional Mac setup. I, that's interesting. That I, I never really thought about the rules of typography for comics, but I bet there's a bunch of them. Yeah, and they're they're pretty well like ingrained and like you don't know they're there until you know they're there. Like I love the movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but it bothers me that they use the wrong eye in some of the captions in the middle of the when when Miles Morales's thoughts become captions. I'm like, but it's the wrong you're doing so well. Why are you doing that wrong? I they just need to hire you next time. That's all. <laughs> yeah, there there are a bunch of us who know this because we there, there's a subset of letters that I hang out with and we all complain about the same things. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off your plan. I wanted to take a minute today to talk about the 1Password family plan. It's been a real game changer for me. The other day I heard my teenager lecturing her friends about password security And I know that's entirely because we put her on 1Password when she was in middle school. You know what? I'm okay with that because the internet's a dangerous place and these kids need to understand internet security and good password management. And this is the right time of the year to be thinking about a family account. Maybe you've got a kid going off to college or or getting to a higher level in their education where they've got a phone with them and increasingly important information on their phone. With 1Password for Families, you can give your loved ones the tools to protect themselves without taking away their independence. That's exactly what I did. Start teaching your child good password management skills by adding them to your family account. 
If you've got an individual account, you can upgrade it at OnePassword.com. OnePassword keeps your family safe online by helping everybody create and use strong, unique passwords for all their accounts. And because it makes it quicker and easier to sign into apps and websites, they'll actually use it. Students starting college need to sign up for a lot of new services like school emails and online shopping accounts. It's a lot to take in all at once, and this is the perfect time to teach them how important it is to use strong and unique passwords for every site. Likewise, one password can safely store information. If you're starting school, you're going to be given a lot of information and documents that you need to keep track of. Store them in one password, and not only do you always have them with you, they're also safe. If there's a young person in your life getting their first credit card, teach them how to save all the credit card information to one password. So if it ever gets lost, they've got the telephone number and emergency contact right there. One password syncs seamlessly between devices so you can access that school information from your iPad at school and again from the desktop computer back in the dorm or even when you're home for the holidays. One password is the easiest and safest way to share passwords credit cards, and anything else, whether you're starting school or starting retirement. The world is a dangerous place, and it's time to keep your personal things private. Set up your 1Password for Families account today and not only protect yourself, but your entire family. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps, and you get 20% off. Thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right, Tom, you told me that you are now an iPad Pro guy. How did that happen? Once the iPad Pro decided, uh, once they came out with the Apple Pencil, I knew I was in. And I work largely in Procreate. And I I like it a lot, but what I've come to terms with it is, I think I've used this term with you before, it's an 80% machine. Yeah. So for the process of drawing a comic book page where you go from sketches to pencils to inks to colors, I can get it pretty close to tight pencils but I can't make the iPad do what my Cintiq does. And I think that's one, I think it's muscle memory, but two, it's also, I think the iPad is better. It picks up more of the imperfections in my line. I know how to hold and use a Cintiq um, stylus and make it work like when I'm inking with a brush. I don't know always how to do that on the iPad. Some of it might just be practice and some of it is that I haven't figured out like the exact settings and any sort of streamlining to put on or any sort of smoothing um, to make it be perfect. So I can, I can make it look right working on the iPad, but it takes me longer. So it's better for me to get five pages up to the point that I can finish them off in a day back on the Cintiq rather than try to get one page to a absolutely finished point and then move on to another one. So did I hear, did you hear one of the problems is it's too accurate? I think so. I, I think it picks up more imperfections in my line than the Cintiq does. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I just have the Cintiq set differently. I've, it's it's a constant battle to try to figure out exactly the right, the right way to have that set up. I feel like Apple should be able to, or even um, the I forget what was the app you were using. Um, oh, Procreate. Yeah, Procreate. They should be able some way to dial back the accuracy. You would think. Yeah, and like Procreate has a lot of wonderful stuff with it. It does have a it does have like a smoothing streamline feature, but. Every time I turn it too far, it streamlines too much. Yeah. So because when you're when you're doing a traditional brush line, you're changing the pressure on the pen to go up and down to go from a thick line to a thin line. It's when you see like a traditional comic book or comic strip piece of art where as the 
as the line gets farther away from the light source, it'll get thicker on the bottom, thinner on the top. It's that movement, which I have trouble with. Like the, the actual lines themselves I can make right, but making the, the width pop the way I need it to, I haven't been able to do that precisely on the iPad Pro yet. I can get close, but I'm, I'm not where I like it to be. There's a guy at, at Lucasfilm, Doug Chang, who's the concept artist for Lucas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done like pretty much everything since the prequel, since Ralph McQuarrie hung it up. And I just saw him speak somewhere where he said he's finally, after years, getting to the point where he feels like he's equally able to make uh, art with the iPad as he is with his pencil and paper. And it's like, I think it really is like an entirely different discipline. Oh, yeah. And it like it took me a while to get to that point on the Cintiq. So now this is like a a third style of input that I'm trying to learn. The um, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who have suddenly an iPad and an Apple pencil or a stylus of some sort who, uh, who are interested in becoming a little better at their artwork. Have you looked into any of this, the tools available like uh, on iPad users to, to help them improve their art? Procreate's the one that I use the most. Moleskine has, or Moleskine has a has a new <laughs> app called Flow that I actually really like. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't seen any sort of like tutorial program to to get you to be a better artist that way. Yeah, and I know that uh, Clip Studio is also on on the iPad as well as the as the Mac. I don't like it as much because it feels more like a straight export. And the screen is too small for all the palettes that show up. It's why I'm going to be, I'm super excited and interested and a little scared of Photoshop coming to the iPad because I know how many palettes I have to deal with. And I don't know how they're going to make that work on the, on the 12 inch screen. Yeah. I I can tell you, I was told at an early age that I was not a good artist. You know, I'm one of those. Right. And so I just assumed I wasn't and never really went down that rabbit hole much but the mm-hmm. ipad does encourage me and and specifically what well, i use procreate and then i'll get an image that i like and then you can trace it you know because procreate lets you make it transparent well one of the things that people don't necessarily realize about artists especially if they only see them out in public like i used to do caricatures for amusement parks sure and there's a point where a little bit of it is it's a trick. It's like going to sub reference again. It's like math class where yeah. you're told to show your work. And when I'm doing caricatures at an amusement park, I don't have to show my work. I, I can do it all in my head. Yeah. But when I'm drawing a comic book page, I do layers upon layers upon layers of trying to make things look right. And I mean, one of the reasons the computer sped me up is that it used to be that if I drew a character in front of a door and I made the character too big or the door too small, I'd have to go in and fix that by hand now I can have those on two separate layers and make a character bigger or smaller and do all the stuff that I used to have to do on a photocopier if it was if it was that important and I had it that right. Yeah. So but if you were to look at any of my art and I think I've got uh, I think I've got up on my site a couple different, um, you know, because Procreate lets you record the, the video of you drawing. Yeah. Just how many different layers it takes me to get a piece done. In fact, I know I have a piece on YouTube. I'll, I'll send you the link to it. Uh, me drawing the characters from Warning Label and how many how many layers upon layers of changes you do to get to that perfect or, you know, for me close to. No, because I'm trying not to be arrogant about it. This is not what I want to sound. I, I, the point that I'm ready to release it into the world to get to that level, how much work it takes to get to that point. Yeah, well, I'll say for me, just the idea of having something to at least trace to begin 
it opens up the world for me. It allows me to be creative with the shading, even if I couldn't get the basic shape right, you know? And um, I don't know. It, I I still don't think I'm a very good artist, but I actually enjoy trying to make art on occasion, so. Oh, good. It'll, yeah. it, it will help you be a little less precious. Like, yeah. you don't, you won't run out of layers yeah. or files as opposed to running out of a sketchbook where you feel like you have to be more cognizant of how many pages you're going to waste doing a thing. Yeah. Well, the iPad makes that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you, do you just do the iPad pro for your artwork or do you do other kinds of work on it? I use it as a backup for other things. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't have a keyboard for it anymore. I had a keyboard for my old iPad, but I haven't had one since I switched to the iPad pro. Yeah. I've looked at getting one of the smart cases, but I'm not there yet. And I just haven't, I haven't had it happen enough where I need to be able to write on my iPad. So I, I can do it in a pinch typing on glass, but for the most part, if I have to write something long form, I'm going to be able to get to my laptop or my desktop. Yeah. And we are going to talk later in the show about this because, because Tom travels a lot and you make these appearances at these, um, you know, comic con style shows. So not only do you just travel, you have to bring all this gear with you as well. Mm-hmm. I, I want to hear about that, but let's, let's put a pin in that one okay. for now. The, um, so, so generally though, the, it sounds like the iPad is really another art machine for you. Yeah. That is specifically what I use it for. And I'm, um, one, I'm like I said, I very much want Photoshop to be on it because I can't quite color on the iPad yet. There's yeah. no program that does the things that Photoshop will. And one of the things that will make me upgrade my antiquated laptop is I want a sidecar. Yeah, because if I can use the iPad as a graphics tablet attached to a computer, that changes a lot of how I work. Yeah, and that, isn't Photoshop coming out with a full featured version for iPad as well? Yeah, they debuted it at. Was, did they do debut at DubDub or one of the developer? I think they did it at their conference, but it was like right in the same time period. Yeah, it was. It was a while ago, and there hasn't been like 2019 was supposed to be the year they released it, and I haven't seen anything about it yet. Yeah, they that that actually getting back to your your point of saying the iPad is the eighty percent machine for you. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these layers in Procreate. How do you get that file with all that layer data back to your piece to your Mac? Oh, I can export it as a PSD, uh, and I yeah, uh, yeah. I just airdrop it to myself. Of course, of course. A PSD is the lingua franca of the art industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that that makes sense. I get it. Uh, iPhone. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, um, I'm using the 10s now. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I've been a lot more clumsy with this one. Uh, I've broken the screen twice. Uh-oh. Uh, and I, I don't know how. And I feel like the screen is scratching more than any other iPhone I've ever had. And I say that on all or I've been very careful about the latest one, which is about a week old. Uh, I've had it on the previous two models. It seemed like the screen scratched in a way that it wasn't happening on my 10 or my eight or anything like that. Sounds like it's time for an OtterBox, Tom. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I do have it in a, in a new case that's protecting it a little bit more right now. Yeah, so. get, get one of those where you can drop it off a roof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. With my kids, we Apple loses money on those uh, warranty programs. Mm-hmm. Well, now uh, because I'm on the upgrade program, I've had the Apple care on it. So that's, that's yeah. protected me from lots of pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Linode. Get $20 credit on high-performance SSD Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Go to promo.linode.com MPU. 
With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system. Linode are the folks to go to. They offer the fastest hardware and network with outstanding customer support if you ever need help. It's super easy to launch a Linode cloud server. And if you've ever been thinking about doing your own Linux server, these are the folks you want to work with. Their block storage is available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and soon to be released in Tokyo. Version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. And right now, Linode is hiring. If you want to learn more and check out what they're looking for, just go to linode.com careers. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting at 16 gigabyte of RAM. And Linode has a special offer for you. As a listener of this show, you can go to linode.com MPU and use promo code MPU2019 to get $20 off any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash MPU and promo code MPU2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. I want to talk about your software a little more detailed. I mean, we got into kind of the, the iPad workflow. Mm-hmm. That sounds to me like the real work is happening on the Mac still. Yes. Um, so you've mentioned the Adobe suite. What, what parts of it are you using? Uh, I am using Photoshop to color and Illustrator to letter and design logos, and then InDesign to put books together to send to printers or publishers. So you're, you're using quite a bit of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still using most of the print version or print programs that they have. I, I used to design websites. I do far less of it. So sometimes I'm in Dreamweaver every once in a while, but that's about the only other program that on the Adobe suite that I'm using regularly. Now, the um, and you talked about this a little bit on the uh, free agents appearance, but I want to kind of talk about the tech side of this. I mean, isn't it kind of unusual that you do the artwork and the lettering and the story? You, you, you're the whole package, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's come around where it, I think it was very common in the beginning of comics and became far less common because it's easier to get a book out faster if you're splitting up the chores. Yeah. So if one, generally a person can draw a book a month. Uh, and if you give it to a inker and they can ink about two books a month or something like that, you can, you can get a book out on a much more regular basis. A lot of the comic strip artists like Charles Schultz and Burke Brethid and all those guys, they do everything themselves. The place I went to school, the Kubert school specifically taught me how to do everything. And I've become very appreciative of it because even I think there's a thing that happens when you're in college or art school where you it's preparing you for the real world, but it's never preparing you for exactly the world that you go out to. Yeah. And you get a little upset by that. And then you start figuring it out and then you realize what value the things that they taught you had. And for me, being able to do everything myself gives me the benefit of having someone who will work for my own crappy rates. Um, but it gives me a lot of flexibility that I can get something done and not have to factor in the cost of hiring someone. I can try a lot more things because I can, I can do every step of the proc process. 
But as web comics are becoming a bigger and bigger thing, I think you're getting back to a lot of people who are doing everything themselves. Because I feel like web comic artists are more soup to nuts than comic book artists. And when I when I was finishing law school, one of the professors told me, he says, You're like someone who has studied all of the science of the and physics of hitting a baseball, but you've never picked up a bat. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> And I think that's uh, that's kind of true for a lot of uh, degrees as you get out. But but you've actually really excelled because of this knowledge and ability to you know to cover all the bases. Well, I'm doing a lot of baseball today. <laughs> that's okay. Now, uh, could you explain the lettering? I don't even really understand. I mean, it's not you're not. So are you are you building fonts or are you just lettering the you know the bubbles? So these days I'm lettering in fonts. There's a comic book fonts. It's Richard Starking's company. Comic craft does a, a huge volume of comic book style fonts. Yeah. Most of what I letter is in that I have designed my own fonts. I used to have one. I didn't think that it was giving me anything so much better than what I was using with Starkings. And also back when I designed it, I was using fontographer. So that's what system system seven, seven. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a program that I wanted to get into to design another font. At that point, it was just easier to buy Starkings fonts, and that's what everybody was using. And let me just interrupt there for a second. Uh, all the nerds out there, you have to go to comic. Was I think it's comic book fonts or comic craft? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's comic craft, and it's comicbookfonts.com. Yeah, comicbookfonts.com. I have uh, often I give presentations, and people are like, "Man, the typography was great." You know, where did you get that font? They're all from Comic Craft. I buy them. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I have an alarm every year on January 1st. Uh-huh. They have a deal where it's one penny per year. So like next year, all of the fonts will be $20.20 on January 1st. And these are fonts that normally go for sometimes $200 and more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I go in there every year and buy one. So I've got a pretty good collection. I've been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. But those fonts are not just great for making comic books. They're great for... All sorts of use. Hedge backwards for the win. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I like that one a lot. I've been playing uh, mostly what I'm lettering in now is mild mannered for comic books. Sure. Uh, with a, like a 90% squeeze on it. Yeah. So, because I think it's too wide otherwise. Um, yeah, I, I love their stuff and it just makes it easier. Yeah, but you do that in Illustrator. I do that in Illustrator. So I'll have a layer that's got the body copy on it. I'll have a layer that has the balloons on it. I'll still combine the balloons using the Pathfinder tool. Um, there are some people who have a layer that has the white part of the balloon and then a layer that has the black part, the stroke on the balloon. Yeah. Because then you can keep your balloon and your pointer separate and move things around if you need to later on. And then a lot of the sound effects, I'll use the Starking sound effects. If I really need to, I can design my own sound effects and scan them in. Yeah. Uh, if I want more of a hand-drawn look. Because I... It's one of those things where I think it's important to have learned how to do it by hand because you know what steps this computer is skipping for you. And it helps you like find the perfect way to align a balloon. There's a there's a whole diamond shape that you want to have where it goes, you know, from a couple words down to a you know, the middle should be the longest number of words in a sentence and then back down so it forms a diamond shape and that's what'll make it fit in that ellipse very well. I do things like I I hand tweak all the ellipses. So that they fit a little more naturally, um, you know, do the yeah. thing where you select a was it Command A or A to get the individual selection tool and just broaden them just a little bit. 
uh, yeah. And then I can, I just keep those as PDFs and upload the PDFs into InDesign when I'm doing my own files with comic book companies. A lot of times they want the lettering separate from the art because that will allow them to, if they're going to do a translation of it, just switch all the English versions of the sure. lettering with a different version. And then the art doesn't change. Yeah, that's probably a lot of work, though, because it's not just simply typing, retyping the uh, lettering, right? I mean, the, bu- the bubble sizes change. and Yes, the, the balloon sizes change, the pointer direction changes, all of that stuff is different. The scripts generally are written, uh, you know, everybody's using a word processor, so I can sure. directly import the script. Yeah, But even then, there's a lot of finessing. I mean, one, just changing the eyes to the right crossbar eyes. But you'll get people who write in Final Draft. And the last time that I worked with a final draft script, there's so much like hard coding that it puts in like weird tabs to get to the format of a screenplay that you have to strip out and get it down to the basics of what you need to start dropping the the lettering into the, the comic book page. We've had a lot of guests over the years in the entertainment industry that use final draft. And I don't think we've ever had a single guest that liked final draft. I've used it because I've, I've written a couple animation uh, projects and it's it's great for that but I don't like I wouldn't use it for anything else it's very task specific yeah you know that you you mentioned earlier the sound effects mm-hmm. I think that's if I ever if things ever go horribly wrong I'm going to call you and see if I can get a job I think that would be my what I'd be good at is just coming up <laughs> with words for sound effects isn't that kind of fun when I get a script from a writer, those are usually included. Okay. Uh, when I have to come up with them, yes, that is, it is fun to figure out exactly how, to, how to make the sound in your head look and read properly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but then, so, it, so is everything done in the Adobe suite? Um, no, I draw in clip studio, which used to be called manga studio. Okay. Tell me about that app. So it's designed specifically for comic book artists. Um, I think it's a it's an import from Japan, and it is it is the most phenomenally useful program. It, it's like the babblefish of uh, comic book art because yeah. you can you can throw down perspective grids so that you're if you're drawing a bunch of buildings, they'll all immediately go to the right vanishing points. Uh, you can do layers. You can it'll handle. Uh, panel borders so that your art isn't going outside the panel border. It is just, it's, it's amazing and it's incredibly cost effective. It's like a hundred dollar program. If you, if you don't catch it on sale. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. And it, that was one of those things that when I started to use it, I gave myself a, a daily task with it because it was too much to learn at once. But if I gave myself a draw one superhero a day, yeah. by the end of the month, I knew I knew most of what I needed to to make that program work. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. It looks really powerful. And is it is it just Mac or is it on multiple platforms? I'm pretty sure it's on PC. Yeah. When did you go through that learning process with Clip Studio? Uh, I think it was 2013, maybe 2014. So not that long uh, ago. No, no. And now I now I can't live without it. And they have an iPad version. Yes. Now the the iPad version I I don't like quite as much. One of the one reason is that it's a subscription model where the the desktop version is is just a purchase. Yeah. And I understand I understand the the economics and the math behind the subscription version. I just feel like it's my backup 
that if something if something goes horribly wrong and I have to work in Clip Studio on the iPad, I need to have it. Yeah. Which is again, it's why I'm so obsessed with when Sidecar comes because then I can just run Clip Studio on my laptop and then draw on the on the uh, on the iPad as if it were like a very tiny Cintiq. Yeah, and, and for I think most people listening probably know about um, Sidecar, but what it, it's a feature in uh, Catalina, the Mac OS Catalina coming out in September, where you can have it connect to an iPad right next to it and just work off of it. So. It's basically like an external monitor that can be mm-hmm. wired or wireless. But like for someone that does art, I think it's going to be a big win. Oh, yeah. And I know there have been third party programs that do something similar, but the lag becomes a real issue. Yeah. And I haven't, I fortunately haven't hit the point where I need to do that much stuff on it, where I've needed to go that far. But once it becomes a built in feature of the Mac, I know I'm going to use it all the time. Are you tempted to try and uh, download the Catalina beta so you can can work with it now? Uh, I, I am not, uh, yeah, you shouldn't be, <laughs> it's, it's rough right now. <laughs> no, I, I have enough stuff going on where I can't be messing around to that level and I'm saving up because my antiquated laptop won't be able to do it. Yeah, so yeah, that's the, yeah. that's exactly the machine that I'm going to need to use it on. Yeah. Any idea which, uh, what your next laptop is going to be? Have you oh, thought about I feel it? like they, uh, I've thought about it. I feel like they keep releasing different versions of the, the laptop lineup every two months and it keeps throwing me off. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be a MacBook pro, but yeah. there's part of me that thinks I could work with the, the MacBook air because of how, how little I use it. There are serious rumors of a 16 inch MacBook pro, which my guess would be probably the same size as the 15 inch, but with a lot smaller bezel. Um, and we, we talked about how much stuff I do on the road. I actually don't want a 16 inch. Sure. Um, I want the, I want the smaller one because planes are not large like i you know for the most part when i'm using the laptop i'm typing on it and if i'm going to be drawing on it i'll be drawing on the ipad and that's a screen i can use anyway yeah the only only piece of advice i'd give there's this huge asterisk over the current line with these keyboards you know like Mm -hmm. you talked about your was it your 2008 machine that you're still carrying around it's a 2010 2010. yeah Uh, but i mean you call it a typing machine I really worry about the keyboards you buy now. If they'll they'll still be typing in nine years, you know. Um, yeah, I I listen to ATP and Marco has put the fear of God into me yeah. about what that keyboard is going to be like. But they're going to be a, hopefully a better keyboard. So I, yeah, you're at a weird time right now. Right? Yes. All right. Well, um, so you've got the um, not Manga Studio. I keep forgetting the name now. It's called Clip Studio. Yeah, Clip, Studio. Clip Studio Paint. Clip Studio Pro. Yeah. Okay. I'll put the link in the show notes for anybody that's interested okay. in it. But, you know, Tom, you also are a businessman in essence. I mean, you're running your own studio. Um, I'm assuming you don't have like your own accounting department and marketing department doing all this stuff. No, stuff for you. no, I, I do have an accountant. I've learned that lesson. Good but, for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. And uh, so are you using your tech to run that half of the business as well? Yes. In weird ways that don't always make sense, or at least they make sense to me. And that's the important part. Yeah. So most of my financials are kept on a, on a really tricked out Apple numbers spreadsheet. Yeah. Because I found that using Quicken or programs like that, they, they're too confining for me. Yeah. Because I, one, I need to be able to track certain kinds of expenses plus mileage, plus travel expenses, plus, you know, there's a thing where you can take per diems 
where if I'm at a convention for six days, I can write off six days and that's easier than dealing with receipts. Yeah. But I, you know, I have some income from royalties. I have some incomes that are invoices. I have some income that comes is just, it feels like random payments um, from clients doing direct deposit. And I've managed to get that spreadsheet to the point that I know how everything works. Yeah. So, and then I, I can eventually by the end of the tax year, I can get a document to my, my accountant where everything like i don't know what things are anymore but i can get them a list of things so that they can figure them out yeah i i got the accountant when i bought my house and because of that i don't know how my house affects my taxes yeah. like i know that it does and i know that i can write off part of my my house loan but i don't know like up until then i knew how everything worked on my taxes and now it's just me saying hey this is an expense i don't know if i can write it off or not but that's the number so here it is yeah i, I agree man you just got at some point you just gotta trust the person to do it right uh-huh yep the um but you know numbers is interesting i was just talking to a friend recently a you know a serious computer person who and i had a number spreadsheet i was showing him and he was giving me a hard time about it. he's like oh, you got to use excel you know you got to use a real spreadsheet and and it got me thinking, you know, the comment, uh, I understand why people think that. I mean, Excel can do anything. Like if you're going to engineer a corporate leveraged buyout, there's probably a spreadsheet in Excel to help you do that. Whereas I'm not sure anybody's ever done that in numbers. But for the day-to-day financial stuff or day-to-day spreadsheet stuff, I find it just so much easier to use. And honestly, it's more attractive. I Yeah. I hate that when you open a new Excel sheet, it's like, sells to infinity thing that it does you know I oh, yeah. my soul dies just a little bit every time i see that yeah it's like i just don't like that i i feel i don't i feel somehow inadequate when i look at it <laughs> i don't know but the uh you know with with numbers you can kind of contain it to what you need and and it it does have a lot of advanced calculations way it's got calculations that i have no clue what they mean so but i guess they're advanced you know and um uh, I think for a lot of people, they sell numbers short. Yeah. And for as much as I'm doing on it, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to the metal on it. Yeah. The, I know that I know that there are features that I might not have that I would have in, in Excel, but I don't need those features. Yeah. And as it is, I'm doing lots of weird stuff with how I have it set up where like I like I have different lines where it'll it'll pull out the the month of where my invoice is and the month of when that payment comes in so that I can track, you know, how much I build out in any given month or what conventions I had just that month. And that's, that feels like a pretty fancy feature to me, even though that I know that it's not. And I got it so that it'll take all my clients and figure out how much I've made from each client or how much I've built out to each client over the year, yeah. which, you know, you're getting into like weird count ifs statements and things like that. But that's that's all I needed to do. Have so. you have you figured out conditional formatting yet? I have. Yes. Yeah. It, that, it that's glows the winner in. right there, baby. Mm-hmm. When I get paid, it goes to a nice bright green, so that I know that 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 thing is taken care of. Yeah, feels good, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing that's nice about it is it's very iCloud friendly and it's very friendly with the uh, iPad version. So I don't know if you ever tried this, but if you load up those sheets on the iPad, I suspect you're going to get the exact same look and feel. Yeah, the, some of my fonts don't always come across. Yeah, because I, I'll actually do that where I'll use the Starkings fonts on. Yeah, on some of my spreadsheets. But yeah, I can go back and forth, and I keep everything in Dropbox, and uh, it I use numbers to generate my invoices too. 
So I think, uh, what is it? I think there's an app called what the font is that it? Okay. Link what the font? I'm going to look it up. I'll, but the, um, there's an app that lets you install fonts. And then of course, in iOS 13, um, you'll be able to install fonts as well. So that's going to get better for you. Yes. I'm looking forward to that or any font. Oh man, I forget. I think what the font is the one where you take a picture of the font and it tells you what the font is. I have too many font apps, Tom. <laughs> All right, gang, I will look it up and the, the link that will be in the show notes will be the right one. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom. Use offer code MPU to get 30% off and start monitoring your website performance and availability today and get instant alerts when an outage occurs or a site transaction fails. If you're listening to this show, I bet you have some responsibility for or know somebody that has responsibility for monitoring a website. Pingdom is the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy. Everyone loves a fast website, and Pingdom is helping to keep your favorite sites online. Sites like Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, and Slack are just a few companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they'll take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial. With no credit card required, when you sign up, use code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Tom, I was looking at your website and you do nothing but travel, man. You, you're at like all of these conferences. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. I didn't expect my life to be like, like uh, the prisoner, but... Um... No, not the prisoner. Sorry, the fugitive. There you go. I'm always on the run. I hear the sad little Incredible Hulk music when I go from town to town. Yeah, but it's fun, right? I mean, you're you're attending these shows. Uh, you get to. Uh, you're usually on the floor, right, with the uh, with a table. Right. Yeah. I'm either in Artist Alley or in like at San Diego Comic Con. I'm at the exhibitor space. Yeah. And so when I'm there, I'm meeting fans and selling books during the day. And especially since I've started working with Webtoon, that has been. That is just like a, a mainline hit of cotton candy and fun because the Webtoons fans are so effusive about what they like. Um, I've had I've had more people come up crying that they've been reading my stuff. It's just it's really heartwarming. I can't I can't express it, uh, how much I like it. Yeah. And then at night, I will be going to places, trying to network with people and try to line up more work and get some sleep. Yeah, not never as much as I need. But yes. I think I figured it out. Whenever I go to these conferences, I always pick one day somewhere in the middle and I go to bed at like seven o'clock. I just miss everything <laughs> that day, but I get like 10 hours of sleep and then I make it through the conference. I usually don't get sick and uh, it all works for me, but that's, that's my yeah. trick. Pick one night and just hit, hit the bed really early. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a point at San Diego where people are going, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, you know, I'm paying a lot for that hotel. Maybe I'm going to spend some time in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But so you're going to all these, um, these conventions and you're not just going as an attendee, you're going as a, a you know, going to work. And, um, mm -hmm. and so what gear comes with you when you do these things? So if it's a, uh, just like a weekend trip. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I will bring 
I'll bring my iPad. I'll bring my laptop. I'll bring my square reader because that's how I take sales yeah. at the show. Um, one of the things I've done that I think I may have mentioned on the last show is that I, my iPad is on, I think it's Verizon and my phone is AT&T because every once in a while you'll hit an area where one of the two won't work. Yeah. But it is very rare that both of the two won't work. Yeah. That's a, that's a total power move right there. Yep. Yeah. Um, and oh no, I'm on T-Mobile cause T-Mobile has like a 500 meg free per, uh, per month plan. And that's been really convenient because that's, that's mostly what I need to take a couple sales on it. Yeah. Uh, because for the most part, the iPad is either in my house or at a place that has Wi-Fi, So I don't, you know, it doesn't need the same connectivity as the, uh, as the iPhone does. Um, and if it's a longer trip, uh, where I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks, if it's, uh, I live in Ohio, so there are a lot of shows that are driving shows. If I'm going to be gone long enough, I'll actually bring out the, the Cintiq and the, uh, the iMac. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of a, a rarer occasion these days. Yeah. When you add a trunk to the mix, everything changes, right? Yes. You can even yes. bring two it's, pair of shoes. Uh huh. It's so much easier bringing books. I, and I just, uh, I bought a, a new to me car because I, I have a convertible, which yeah. I love. Um, but that wasn't great for like bringing my computer. Yeah. yeah uh, there exactly. wasn't a lot of room. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of room for it. So now that I, now that I have a Subaru with a, with a trunk and stuff, it is so much easier to bring more things with me. Now, when you bring the iMac and the Cintiq, do you set it up on the show floor? Uh, oh no, not on the show floor. There are times where, um, my girlfriend lives out of town. Or um, if I'm staying at somebody's house because it's more convenient to like stay there between a couple of shows, yeah, I'll set up there. Okay, yeah, because generally I there's too much uh, customer facing activity where I like I wouldn't be able to be productive working anyway. It would just be me looking down, yeah, not paying attention to anyone, yeah. So I'll bring the iPad with me to the show for slow times to work out sketches or do roughs or any of that stuff. But I'm generally not doing finished pieces until I get back to the hotel or back to wherever I'm staying. I think the idea of having two devices with different cellular networks makes a lot of sense if, you know, when you're doing the job, you're getting paid. And if you have a bad internet connection, which seems like is always the case at these conventions because there's so many more people hitting whatever cellular towers are there. Oh yeah. And it feels like, like geographically things are weird enough where like when I would do the Charlotte convention that was known to be really bad for AT&T, like everywhere else had good coverage, but AT&T did not have good coverage there. So having a device that could connect on a different network, put me ahead of everybody who, especially, you know, when AT&T was the only game in town for the, um, uh, iPhone, it just gave you a, a, like a second way to get online. Yeah. That makes sense. And then what about power? Do they, do they give it to you there? I mean, it depends on the show. Uh, San Diego does not everywhere does, but I, I have, I haven't gotten a battery case for the new iPhone. I used to have the Apple battery case. And before that, the Mophie, I do have a, uh, you know, a couple like, um, lipstick chargers that I'll carry with me to get me through the day. And then I'm very militant about making sure I charge my devices at night. Yeah. I bought the, uh, the, the battery case for the new iPhone 10 XS, which seems crazy because mm-hmm. that phone already has a big battery, but it's just like when you spend the day on airplanes and traveling, or when you spend the day at a place like Disneyland or a convention, it's like mm-hmm. just battery is no longer an issue. It's just, it's just, you're fine. You can do anything and it's going to work all day. And that, that's yep. a pretty good feeling. Yeah. It's one less thing to worry about. Yeah. 
What about the the iPad? Do you have to bring power for that, or are you, are you getting through it full day on on just the iPad battery? I'm getting through a full day on the iPad battery because for the most part, when you're at a show, it's got to last the eight, 10 hours of the show and you're not on it constantly. Yeah. And then after that, I'm going to dinner back to the hotel and then I can recharge it. Yeah. Makes sense. So it sounds like it's not really that bad in terms of the technology load. No, no. The only, the only thing I'll run into is I would, I don't know if there's an efficient way to do it, but there are times where it'd be much nicer to charge my laptop if I'm trying to write a script. Yeah. At a, at a show, uh, I've had a couple where I've had to manage, especially with it being such an old laptop, yeah. I have to manage the decline in the battery and say, I have to get all this stuff done before the, before it runs out of power. I don't have someone to charge it and then I can move things to the iPad and take care of yeah, it. Yeah. Nine year old laptop. I would imagine that battery ticks down pretty fast. Yeah. It's a, it's an awesome 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the nice things, if you get a new one is they do charge off USB C. And you can, you can buy um, some, you can buy these batteries. Like Anchor makes like a, a 21,000 milliamp hour battery that can charge a laptop. So you can literally bring an external battery and a USB-C cable and you're good. So uh, you may like I, that. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that will be my giant tax purchase for 2019. Yeah. It's the new laptop and everything that goes with it. Yeah. It, it, it is actually kind of hard. If, if someone asked me, you know, uh, MacBook Pro 13 inch or or MacBook Air, I would generally say MacBook Air, but I guess you just got to go in and take a look at them and see what what does the job. Yeah, like I've, I've got a feeling the Air is going to work just fine. Yeah, um, because I'm not you know I'm not stressing it enough, but you know it's weird. I've been using Macs long enough where it took me long enough to get used to the idea that the iMac was a professional machine. Yeah, I get it. Because I was used to the Bondi blue ones, you know, and I I had to have the Mac pro um, where now things are different. I think in your shoes, I would be tempted to get an, a, a MacBook air and just get it with knowing that you have two, two weeks, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That is a, it's a nice way to test things out. Take it home, load it up with clip studio pro and see Mm -hmm. what happens, you know? And if it, if there's a problem, you can always, take it back and upgrade yep but yeah and, and that one the battery's smaller you would be able to run that off an external battery easier when you're at these uh conventions so you probably would get a longer day out of it yeah and i don't have to i don't have to attach anywhere near as much stuff as i used to um because it would feel like i would have to have a, a separate hard drive and yeah you know different kind of input and now i i think that's going to be awesome when i when i finally pull the trigger and do it is it hard? I mean, because you're you're a creative guy. I mean, that's how you pay for your shoes. Um, with all this travel, and it's great. I know meeting people that that like your stuff. But is it in terms of production and and making art? Is it possible or difficult when you go on the road? It is both possible and difficult. Okay, um, <laughs> all right. It, yeah, it, it depends. What I I try to schedule things so that I'm doing the right thing at the right time. So like coloring and lettering for lack of a better term, doesn't require my full brain. Sometimes that's easier to do on the road. Um, if I know I'm going to have a night or two or a couple days on either side of the show, those are usually good for writing because when I'm drawing, it's nice to, I always get leery about getting in the zone because there's a certain amount of being a professional where you should just be able to get the work done. But if I can hit a rhythm of working the same way, every day in a row getting things taken care of it's a lot easier for me to draw because i'm i'm not trying to get back into that comfort area of being ready to draw or how i do any of that stuff so i try to do 
concept work and scripts on the road and as little like production art as I can, uh, because that's still far more comfortable for me to do in my art studio. Now, and and you, you, when you say, you know, you want to be mindful of what you're there for. I mean, part of the reason you're there is to interact with the people that read your stuff and to hear what they like and don't like. Oh yeah. And you're building an audience and, and meeting people. Yeah. yeah. So you can't say, well, no, I'm working on a script. You need to go away right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think that also applies to your hardware. I mean, I think you take that into consideration. For me, uh, I have not been using a laptop for a while, I've been using the iPad, and I just kind of came to the conclusion that the type of work I'm going to do when I'm on the road is not going to be the type of work that I need an iMac Pro for. And that mm-hmm. type of work just has to wait until I'm in front of an iMac Pro. And it, it's been good for me, but it it is an interesting thought experiment to say, you know, can I break my workload into different categories of hardware or attention and, and then make your choices accordingly? Yeah. Um, that's why I've been able to live with this laptop for so long because it doesn't have to do the hard art stuff. It's what I, you know, I write scripts on it at Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And even the hard art stuff, I, I am curious about how much that actually taxes a processor. Yeah. I think, I think layers and sometimes the color blending mode, some of the things in Photoshop. Yeah. Um, I know uh, InDesign will task it a lot. Yeah. Because it's trying to, you know, I can drop down how it renders each page so it becomes a little faster, but it, then it becomes less convenient. Um, I can get stuff done, but it's like working with gloves on. Yeah. Now, now you're also running a retail store, in essence, while you're sitting on these convention floors. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have all my, my little pony books and warning label and, uh, doing sketches and commissions and selling prints, stuff like that. So how do you, I know you said you use, um, square square for that, for payment, but do you, mm-hmm. do you have any additional software hooks to that? I mean, do you have to give receipts or what, what do you do? No, we, uh, we've hit as far as receipts go, that wonderful place where everybody just assumes that it's going to be on their credit card anyway. So if I really need to, I can write one by hand, but I think I've done that once in the last three years. Yeah. Uh, Like either everything's going through square or people don't care because the, the price point for the things that I'm selling, you know, at the high end, some of my books are $25. So short of a big original art sale. Yeah. It's, you know, people aren't trying to track that the way they would, you know, like when I buy a computer and I need to be able to write that off. Yeah. It's, it's a little more impulse buy stuff. Yeah. Um, and I do keep a spreadsheet of my sales at shows so I can track what I've done and compare it with the year after or the year before and the year after it gives me an idea of how many books I have to bring with me to a show. Yeah. Um, because that's always, especially if I'm not driving, like when I go out to San Diego, I have to figure out what I'm going to ship out and what I'm in you want to hit that point where if you ship some back, it's not going to be painful. Yeah. But you don't want to be there without books to sell either. Exactly. The kind of the math that I've been using is what would be a good show. Like if I sell X number of my little pony books, will I be happy? Then okay. Plan for that. Yeah. And then you just, I guess you just ship them to your hotel or whatever. So you don't, you're not carrying those on the plane. Uh, I carry some of them on the plane Okay, because you can, you can fit a short box of comics in a, uh, a roller bag for carry on luggage and they don't, they don't weigh that yet. Um, don't say that. (laughs) So, uh, that's how I bring most. Plus I don't want them out of my sight because if something happens to my luggage and and those books are gone, then, then I'm in a world of hurt. Yeah. 
and I try to make sure that everything else is like at San Diego. The main publisher I work for is IDW. They're based in San Diego. So if I pick up my books from their booth, uh, I don't have to pay shipping on those. Um, you can ship to hotels, but some hotels charge for receiving packages. So I might ship to a FedEx and pick up with a local hold, things like that. There's a lot of, you know, between that and how many bags can you bring and what, what airline are you flying? There's just all sorts of math that goes along with it. That's kind of crazy and not what I thought I was going to be needing to know when I got out of art school. Yeah, it's, it's like, didn't know you're going to need a new inventory system. I don't need to know this as much anymore, but my joke used to be that I didn't realize after I graduated that I would know where every FedEx drop was in a 10 mile radius and what their pickup time was. Yeah. But that was information I had to know for a long time. Now you said you keep a, a number spreadsheet to track the sales at the show. Yep. Now, how are you getting data for that? I guess you're just counting them at the end of the day. Yeah, I just I just count by hand. I find it to be easier. Yeah. I don't uh, I don't use Square to manage my inventory. Um I just, there's just something, it feels better to mark it down by hand. And um, I don't know if we talked about this or not. I use a rocket book. No, I'm a, I'm a super big fan of that. So rocket book is the, it's a reusable notebook. Um, they had a version called the rocket book. I think it's the ray uh, the wave. The wave was microwavable. So you use the uh, Frixon pens, which are, are thermal based, yeah. and you would microwave it to make the ink go away. The new one, you can wipe off with a damp cloth. And then there's a whole app that goes along with it that if you know, there are icons at the bottom and you click or you uh, put a line through one of those icons. And if the first one is done, it set. I have it set so that it'll go to one folder in my Dropbox. And there's another one that will email me a scan of it. So it because I got really into bullet journaling a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it feels weird to me. It's the thing we were talking about with layers and sketchbooks where it felt weird to me to keep a, keep a notebook like that. Cause I felt like it was just wasted paper, but because I keep reusing the same sheets of paper, it doesn't feel wasted to me. Yeah. Um, and it just becomes the place where I dump whatever I'm thinking about. And that whole idea capture thing that goes along with it. I'm a huge, huge fan of it. I love this. And, and it allows you to digitally capture it. So Yep. And then by writing things down by hand, it also lets me keep more of the like the weird things that'll happen. Like when you, you know, you might cut somebody a deal because they bought more than more books or you if I decide to bring a different item, um, I don't have to necessarily figure out exactly where that goes in my spreadsheet right away. I can kind of track it as a, you know, as an experiment for a little while. For as much as I love computers, being able to write with words on a piece of paper is an awesome input system as well. Well, I think for someone like you, I mean, that that's your jam. You know, that's what you do. You draw. So, of course, mm -hmm. using a pencil for ideas is going to make sense as well. Yeah, I'm I'm hooked into the whole idea capture thing. I'm kind of obsessed with it. No, I, I do it, too. I mean, I wrote a book called Paperless, but I, I still write things down on paper because I do find that that the the brain connections are different and it helps for certain things that I do. And and there's some things I do that don't need to be fast and efficient and that's mm -hmm. okay too. But this, this rocket book is an interesting technology. I've never really uh, experienced it. So how does it work? You, you, uh, you've got a page and you can draw on it. And then how do you get the digital capture off of it? The, there's an app for the iPhone yeah. and because of the way the pages basically have like a, like a eighth of an inch dark border on them. Yeah. And it's, it's not graph paper, but it's like all the dots that make up a graph, yeah, you know, all the, yeah, yeah doc grid. 
Um, so there's enough for it to align visually so that you can keep things straight, but it uses the dark area and it will, it'll take a picture of it. It'll scan it. It, it, and it uses that to flatten it back out. So it's not distorted. Yeah. Um, there's even, I think it's a paid service on it, but it will OCR your handwriting, um, which I know doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but as someone who hand lettered for the first five years of his career, my handwriting is actually pretty neat. Yeah. I would think if it, if it doesn't work on yours, it's, it, there's no hope. Yes. It, it works very nicely on mine. Um, and I think it's a free feature, like for the first line of each scan, which sounds weird, but it lets me title a page. Yeah. And so that when the scan goes up, it doesn't just say that it's, you know, 2019-08-07, whatever. You know, I can name it San Diego Day 1, and it'll save it under that file name. Yeah. And it'll send it automatically to Dropbox or Box or iCloud. I think it'll do iCloud. I don't use iCloud a ton. Yeah. Um, mostly because Dropbox came along, and that just became, you know, it's just easier for me that everything's where I think it should be. So, yeah. Um, or it'll email it to myself, whatever. Smart, smart. And, and like I said, it does, if you're looking for something to draw on with a pencil, but also get that digital capture, tools like this, I feel like they're just kind of on the verge of, of working. You know, I had, yeah, I had one uh, years ago, I had one that was like a pen with like a camera in it, and mm-hmm. it never really worked. But the it feels to me like they're, they're getting much closer. And then now you've got these amazing cameras and the phones and iPads where digitizing a page is not that hard. Yeah. And it lets me, it lets me draw things when I need to. So it's not all just text space, yeah. which, you know, if I'm laying pages out or coming up with logo ideas or just whatever notes I'm taking it, it gives me a level of flexibility that I'm, I'm not or That is hard to find somewhere else. What's the hardest thing about, you know, traveling so much and, and trying to get work done. Uh, keeping up with my TV shows. Um, <laughs> Now, the the hardest part is the honestly for me is the reboot time where like I feel like I've gotten to the point where I lose most of the first day that I'm I'm back yeah. because you don't want to work. And sometimes that's that's really rough. I think I got off the plane, got off my plane coming home from San Diego and I had to put up the last episode of Cupid's Arrows. And that was like three or four hours that it just wasn't pleasant because you're not in the mood to be doing any of that stuff. And, you know really just want to sleep and have something to eat. And I'm like, no, nope, this guy has to get done. It's, it's the time management part. Yeah. That's, that's rough. I think you have to be realistic with yourself. I mean, I am very careful about uh, doing my best not to have anything on my calendar the day after a trip like that, like a work trip. Mm-hmm. Cause every time I do, I regret it. Yeah. Or it pays a lot to not fill up every day. Yeah. Like if, if I know I've got one thing to take care of and it's not too bad and the rest of the time I can spend unpacking and, you know, counting out money and, you know, thinking of all the stuff that I have to do throughout the rest of the week, that, that goes a long way. It's when I have to max out every day, even without travel, where I feel like I'm working from top to bottom that, you know, that's when it really starts to grate on you. And and where do you find time to be creative in that? So I have a uh, shower crayons, bath crayons. I write in the shower. All right. um, yeah. So I can write my water bill off. I think that's the way that works. Uh, I, I do take walks. Those help a lot. Um, and uh, just being able to, to unplug for a little bit. Um, I really do write well in coffee shops and Panera's just because there's something about the act of going up there that it's a commitment yeah. to 
you know, it feels like it should take you should spend at least as much time there as you took driving there. Um, and even though my computer has everything attached, there's there are a few less distractions. Like there's less temptation to say, oh, I'm going to unload the dishwasher and think of stuff. So between that and walking, that's when most of the creativity that's when the the hard parts of the creativity are done. There's lots of stuff that happens as I'm working on one project. I'll be thinking about what I'm going to do on the next project. Um, because once you get to like coloring or lettering, you know, you have more available brain space to worry about other problems. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Anne Lamont that said everything works better after you unplug it for a few minutes, including humans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander and get 20% off your first year. Text Expander is one of my favorite tools on the Mac. It makes it so easy to automate entry of text. With Text Expander, you can easily insert text snippets in any application from a library of content created by you and your team. Text Expander works everywhere you type, improving your productivity and accuracy, no matter what apps you use. That accuracy bit is really important. If you've got a client with a complex name, you don't ever want to get that wrong. So assign it to a Text Expander snippet and you won't. It'll get easier to type and you'll never make an embarrassing mistake. Text Expander for Teams saves you from employees sharing outdated information and saves time too. Best of all, you get to send your best written message out uniformly to your customers because you've got your best writers making those snippets being shared out to your team. One of the things I love about Text Expander is the easy on-ramp. When you get started with Text Expander, it's a simple text expansion utility. But once you master that, you can start adding additional tools. For instance, you can have it automatically enter today's date and time. I use this for my date and time stamp snippets. If you want to go even further, you can add Apple scripts and other sorts of scripts that do all sorts of cool things. Text Expander is one of the most important tools for me in improving Apple Mail. I use Text Expander snippets to address the emails. I use it to save links to the emails, to different files. There's just a whole bunch of stuff I do that are all triggered by Text Expander snippets. If you're curious, Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Chrome. And if you're a show listener, you get 20% off your first year. To learn more, head over to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. And I just want to thank Text Expander for all of their support of the Mac Power users over the years. Once again, that link is textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power users. All right, Tom, tell me about some of your favorite apps that help you get through the day that maybe we don't come up normally. Okay. So as a, as aside with everything else we talked about, um, I love text expander. Okay. Uh, I, I use that for a lot of stuff. Do you write comics uh, with text expander? I don't. I, um, there's a thing in comics where when you have dialogue on a page, you have to number who's talking. Yeah. So on page two, captain Picard speaks. He's one. He speaks in a second balloon. That's number two. Riker speaks. That's three. Yeah. Um, and some of the places I work with are very specific about making sure that those numbers are in there. And I have a text expander script that will put that number in, put it in parentheses, put it on its own line, make sure it's formatted right and count up. Yeah. 
And then uh, I've got a second command that'll start over when I get to another page. Yeah. So it allows me to, because as opposed to final draft, there is no format for doing comic book scripts. You're just get you have to get it so that the artist, the next person on the chain, it makes sense to them. So there's no common format and there's no program that writes in that format. So everybody comes up with their own thing and text expander lets me, lets me do a lot of that. That's cool. Yeah. That's a, I, I've uh, been using text expander a long time, but I never thought about using it to write comics. I use it. I use it for that. And I use it. There's some things I have to post on a, on a website and I've got the whole string of what the, the image uh, source. Yeah. Uh, HTML would be. Yeah. So it take it's a numbered thing. Like every, everyone, everyone that goes up is another number. So it takes the number that I have in the clipboard and then it pastes just the, the, you know, the image link that I need with all the, all the different folders and pathways that it needs. So I do that. How long, how long did it take you to figure out how to put that together? That one was pretty quick. The number one was the worst. Cause there was a little bit of writing in Ruby, I think yeah. on that. Uh, and that was, that was me talking on Twitter about trying to do a thing and somebody writing the script for me. Nice. Isn't it nice when that happens? <laughs> yeah. I, I like when, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate that there are a lot of people who like all watch out for each other. And that's yeah. uh, one of the things I love about doing conventions is when you get to really talk shop with other creators and talk about like what weird commands you're, or what weird actions you built in Photoshop to make your life easier and, you know, just getting better and finding new ways to make the boring stuff go a little quicker. Yeah. Um, love that. I love one password. I honestly, it's another program I can't live without. Uh, I've got all my passwords and credit cards and stuff stored in it. And it's, you know, it's let me do super secure passwords, which is really nice. And now that it's on all my devices, I don't have to, you know, worry about trying to type some weird random 20, uh, 20 character thing into a password bar for the most part. And that's nice when you're on the road and, and, mm-hmm. and for the listeners, you're going to know, cause you've been listening to the show that both uh, text expander and one password coincidentally we're sponsoring today <laughs> but, <laughs> well, excellent but tom didn't know that I, and, yeah. and i didn't you know anyway this is editorial this is just tom's thoughts but it's yeah. it's great that that those those uh sponsors are helping you out as well mm-hmm. um and you said earlier you're not a big icloud guy what, what's your cloud storage of choice dropbox yeah okay that makes sense yeah, because they came along first, and it's yeah. just I built my workflows around it. And it's stable. I mean, it, I don't think I've ever lost anything in Dropbox. Yeah. Yeah, and even there was one time I accidentally deleted a bunch of files, and I was still in the window where I could, you know, just click a button and get them back. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Do you, how much collaboration do you, do you do in your business? I mean, how often do you work with other artists? Um, I don't. With what I do, like the My Little Pony and the Star Trek stuff, there are other artists working on it, but that tends to be a handoff through an editor. Sure. So I like that. I don't use Dropbox on as much. It's I send the file to my editor, and my editor sends it to my sends it to the artist. Yeah. And they get it taken care of. Um, there's some. I still do a fair amount of like graphic design work. I do signs for a couple people who exhibit at conventions, and those things I put into Dropbox and let live there so that they can get whatever vendor is printing their sign or whoever needs to see whatever checklist I designed for them, like make those things available. The, the biggest thing that I use Dropbox for is just being able to give people a link where they can download something. 
you know, just to put files up and know that they'll be able to find them without, you know, even without sharing them into the Dropbox because they're not necessarily people that have to see everything that's up there that I'm going to send things to regularly. It's, you know, just a one-off kind of thing. Yeah, makes sense. So Tom, you're a busy guy. I mean, you, you're out pitching new books and ideas and stories. You're creating your own. You're going to all these conventions. When you get done with that stuff, when you have downtime, does the Apple stuff play any role in in leisure for you, or do you just run away from it screaming? Well, my uh, I use the phone to stay in contact with people, so I'm on messages, uh, decompressing with people. Uh, you know, because being isolated the way that I am, you know, working by myself. Yeah. Not that the cats aren't great conversationalists. Um, it's just it's nice to have that low level communication with a bunch of people where you can share stuff with them. Yeah, I can see how that would be hard because I mean, like for me, I am working in solitude quite a bit, but I, I get to podcast and talk to to friends and guests all the time. And um, but but you don't really have that. No, no. So uh, just like messaging with people, uh, you know, that becomes like the virtual water cooler. It's why I'm not on Twitter anywhere near as much as I used to be because I don't like being angry all the time. Yeah, I get that. But. But I think that's why I took to Twitter when I was on it, too. Yeah. So that's a nice thing to have. And I really I really do like working out. Um, there's a there's a gym that's super not far from me and open 24 hours a day. Uh, and I live on podcasts at those things. Sure. So I'm I'm never not. And then actually, I'll bring the iPad in when. it. Yeah, this is all going to sound like super gym rat uh, when I'm doing cardio days and I'm just on like the stairmaster bring the iPad in so I can burn off some of like my CW shows and yeah. You know, watch things on Netflix, things like that. Hey man, whatever it takes to, to make it go faster. Exactly. I, th- there's a particular rowing machine at the gym that I think wants to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there are a couple of like, I'll actually like parcel out certain podcasts because I know they're better for me to work out to. Yeah. So, all right. Makes sense. Somebody taught what mm-hmm. you need someone talking at a faster pace or a slower pace. <laughs> no, it's just what, what level of engagement are they going to have? And is the podcast long enough to get me through the entire workout? Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I hope that we were long enough to get some people through their workout today. <laughs> me too. Uh, so Tom Zoller, uh, we're going to put the, um, the links in the show notes so you can go check out Tom's page, check out his artwork. All the books he's made. The fact that you made a Picard book. I didn't even realize that um, when we set this up. I cannot. Yeah, they they just announced it last week. Yeah, I saw it in your Instagram. So, and I'm like, yeah. oh, is he buying the DVD? So I didn't realize you made the book. That That's amazing. <laughs> yep. One of my favorite characters in all of fiction. And uh, so I'm going to definitely be reading that one. And so we're okay. going to have links to all this stuff in the show notes and check it out, as well as the products and services we talked about today. If the people want to reach out to you, Tom, where should, where should they go? Twitter is usually pretty good. Instagram is great. Um, I'm at Tom Zoller at both those places. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm just at conventions all over the place. All right. And uh, thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, Smile, Linode, and Pingdom. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>